So it's the reading now, which is from Ephesians 4 on the paper. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every point, every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. You're so welcome. Again, just want to um, welcome you if this is your first time. It's just great to have you. Uh, we're starting today a new mini-series, a new teaching series uh, called Equipping the Saints. And that phrase you may have picked up from that Bible reading comes from Ephesians 4. So over the next five weeks, we're going to be taking this apart and asking ourselves, um, what does it mean for us as a church? And Ephesians 4, we'll see this in a minute, identifies these five sort of key gifts um, that, are, that are really catalytic for the church. You know, they really stimulate growth. And we see that here in Ephesians 4, verse 11. Those gifts are variously described as the fivefold ministry, or some people may refer to the Ephesians 4 gifts. Others may call it apest. What are these gifts? Where are they coming from? What am I on about? Well, it comes from verse 11 of the passage we've just had read to us. Um, and he gave, it says, verse 11, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, uh, the shepherds, and the teachers. Uh, why does Jesus give these? Well, Paul describes Jesus in this sort of uh, passage here as the victorious king uh, he's the one, um, like kings of old, who, uh, after a victorious battle, entered the city to the shouts and the, you know, of the crowds and the woo, you know, the praise and, and the victorious um, songs. And he gives gifts 
as was customary for ancient kings after a victorious battle. But Paul here describes Jesus as one who descends. He came down from heaven. He became one of us. Um, He went to the cross. He beat sin. He beat death. He beat the devil. Then he rose from the grave and ascended to heaven. And from there he gave these gifts that we're going to be examining together over the next five weeks. And so we're very much seeing Jesus as the victorious king that we've been singing about, giving gifts to his people, to, to the church. And these gifts are the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. So over the next five weeks, we'll be taking one of those five and examining them and asking, what, 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 what does this do? How, how, how does this uh, grow the church? What is the purpose of these five gifts that Jesus specifically gives for the church? Well, we see in verse 12, it's to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the church, for growing it in unity, for bringing it to maturity. Uh, he says in verse 14, and the point of all this is so that the people in the church are not so easily knocked around. Um, he says, in, for example, in verse 14, by human cunning, by crafty schemes. You know, it's, it's possible both from outside and within the church to be pulled apart in different directions to become disunited. And so these, these five key sort of catalytic gifts uh, grow the church in strength and in unity. And that, I, I, I firmly believe, to the core of my being, is what the world needs. Um, the world needs what our city needs. It's healthy, churches, strong, uh, vibrant, full of life. Um, that's how we demonstrate God's love to the world. That's how, we, how, we, how we, uh, you know, we show what he's done for us. It's through the church. And, and these gifts, as we'll be seeing over the next five weeks, are, are really key, catalytic um, for that to happen. Of course, these are not the only gifts that Jesus gives to the church. There's, there's loads um, in fact, I did a series back at um, probably the tail end of last year, maybe October, November time, um, called When You Come Together. And we were looking at some of the other gifts that Jesus gives to the church. So these are not the only five gifts that Jesus gives, um, but they seem to occupy a special sort of catalytic, almost like a driving force. Uh, when these gifts are in place and when they're working well, the other gifts um, that you may know about or have heard about um, actually rise up as well. You know, so um, that, that's why these are, these are really, um, I think, really key for us. And so what I hope to do over the next five weeks um, in this series is to give some clarity uh, on what these gifts are. Um, I think as we go along, I'll, I'll be trying to, hopefully, bust a few myths as well um, about some of these gifts and what they may mean and how they've been maybe misused or misunderstood in the past. And what I want to try and do is give us all, as a church, a biblical framework for us to understand these gifts and how they function um, in the modern church and how particularly they function for us at Foundation Church. Um, so, so, yeah, I want, I, want, I want to help us get better, a biblical understanding of, of the fivefold, the apest, Ephesians 4 ministries. And I think that when we, when we get this, we can not only identify them and receive them and, and look out for them and, and, and champion them, uh, but also it helps to avoid a mismatch. Um, and I, and I, I've, the more I've been thinking about these, these gifts over the last five years or so, um, uh, I, I, I think I've come to a fairly settled understanding that one of the reasons for fallout and burnout, especially among church leaders, is a mismatch among these five gifts, either an imbalance or a mismatch. For example, some churches expect 
their leaders to be shepherds, and when they get apostles instead, there's going to be trouble. Or if a church needs prophets, and in fact they settle for teachers, the church is stunted in its growth. It just doesn't, doesn't seem to go much further forward. So a mismatch is, um, is troublesome as well. And again, I want to hopefully over the five weeks just sort of argue for a good, a good balance and a good healthy expression of these things. So that's where we're going um, over the next five uh, weeks. And, and this passage that Lindsay just read for us is really the, the key passage. We're going to be sort of camping out in that. But because of the nature of the stuff we're talking about, it's going to be necessary to sort of jump around a little bit um, to bring in some other light from other scriptures. That's not ordinarily how we do preaching here at Foundation, but on this occasion, um, over the next five weeks, I think it's important just to get a, a wider, sort of broader understanding of, of what we're talking about. So what I want to address um, with the time we have left this morning is, 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 is the gift or the subject of apostles or apostleship, um, the first gift in that five-fold ministry. So we're going to ask ourselves, first of all, who is an apostle? Secondly, we're going to ask ourselves, what does the apostolic look like? And thirdly, then we'll ask, how do we harness the apostolic here at Foundation? How do we harness it? Okay. So first of all, who is an apostle? Um, and, and, and when you do a, a little uh, sort of survey, I suppose, of all the, the usages of apostle or apostolic or whatever in the New Testament... Uh, you'll realize there are a few sort of classifications. That might actually come as a bit of a, a surprise. Um, so so let's, let's just look and see uh, and ask ourselves um, what, what this all means. So the first, I think the first classification or the first tier, I suppose, of when we think of apostles are the 12, right? The 12 apostles. Um, these are the 12 men selected by Jesus, trained by him, sent out on mission. That's what the word apostle means, sent out ones. Um, we've got a verse coming up here from Mark chapter 3. This is Jesus, and this is where it all comes from. He went up on the mountain. This is Jesus. He called um, to him those whom he desired, and they came to him, and he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles. So they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. So that's where the 12 begin, right? And 12 is important, it's symbolic, because the 12 apostles in the, the new community of God's people reflect the 12 tribes of Israel in the, in the original, I suppose, community of God's people. And so it's important to, to, to say that Jesus in these 12 was starting his new people, his new community. And they were to be the leaders of that new community, these 12. And when Judas Iscariot eventually betrayed Jesus and died, it was essential for the church at the start to replace him so that they're back up to 12 again. They went down to 11 for a bit, back up to 12 again. So they chose a replacement called uh, Matthias. And these 12 men, it was necessary that they, they were with Jesus during his life. They saw him um, after he was raised from the grave. Uh, these 12 individuals, um, collectively, I suppose, uh, wrote scripture. You know, uh, it, it was their writings that, that formed the bulk of the New Testament in our Bibles. Um, they're the ones who led the early church. They're the ones who traveled far and wide, bringing the gospel further and further afield. So that's the 12, that's the first classification of an apostle. Um, but then th there is another grouping, a second classification of apostles in addition to the 12. So we have, for example, the apostle Paul, St. Paul. Um, he's probably one of the most famous 
apostles, and yet he wasn't part of the twelve. In fact, he describes himself as an apostle as one untimely born. Uh, The story is that he was actually um, not open to faith in Jesus. The other way, he hated Jesus, he hated the church, and he went as far as actually rounding up Christians, putting them into jail, and hoping that a few of them would face the death sentence. He absolutely hated this, this, what he saw was a sect um, uh, going, going, running amok. These people have to be crushed before it gets too far. And that's what he set himself to do. Um, but one day, he was on his way to persecute a bunch of Christians in a city called Damascus, up in modern-day Syria. And um, he, he uh, uh, had, a, had a, an encounter with the risen Jesus. He, he went blind for a few days uh, as a result of the blinding light uh, of that moment. And uh, eventually he received again the calling from Jesus to be an apostle, to, to, to follow Jesus. I'm going to send you out to the Gentiles, to the non-Jews, and then you're going to preach the gospel to them. And like the 12, uh, Paul wrote scripture, he wrote plenty of scripture. Uh, New Testament letters are you know, largely from Paul. Um, he planted churches. He also traveled far and wide with the good news of Jesus. So there's Paul. But then there are other individuals in the New Testament who are also identified as apostles. This might come as a bit of a surprise. But Barnabas um, was identified as an apostle in Acts 14, verse 14. Jesus, the brother of, sorry, James, the brother of Jesus, not James the apostle, but James, the brother of Jesus, was also identified as an apostle, Galatians 1:19. And likely also Silas, Timothy, Titus, and a few others, such as Andronicus and Junius in Romans 16. I'm saying this to you because it's important that we understand that the apostles are the 12, but there's a wider group still that the scripture identifies as apostles. Beyond that, there is a third level as well. Unidentified apostles, those who fulfill the sort of apostolic roles Um, For example, Paul is writing a letter to the church in Corinth, and he's talking about Jesus appearing uh, first to Peter and then to the Twelve. Then Jesus appeared to more than 500 believers at one time, most of whom are still alive, he says. Um, Then he appeared to James, the brother of Jesus. Then he appeared to all the apostles. Last of all, he appeared to me. But who are all the apostles? It's not the Twelve. It's not Paul. It's not Peter. It's not James. There's obviously a wider group still that are considered to be apostles by the early church. And what I'm trying to to demonstrate with all this, um, just in summary, is that that the apostles are sort of a a wider group than we often think about. Um, And that's important to, to hang on to. In fact, in the early church, and you can see this in the New Testament, there are quite a few people doing the rounds that were identified as false apostles. False apostles. Uh, and so it seemed to be that apostles had to be tested, they had to be listened to, they had to have the fruit of their ministry examined before they could be um, affirmed as apostles. So the point is, it's not just the 12, but a wider group still that the church had to listen to and examine and consider before affirming. You might ask yourself as you're, as you're sitting <coughs> listening to this, that's all very well. Okay, there's a bigger group than maybe we, we originally thought of apostles, um, but is there any sort of hint in the New Testament or, or expectation that the, 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 the role of the apostle, the gift of apostleship, is to continue, or should it stop? Does the scripture say it should, should stop? 
And I would suggest to you, and it's really my suggestion, that no, there is no expectation that the role of apostleship should stop at the end of the New Testament or within the New Testament. For example, again, Paul writes a letter to to a church in Corinth, um, a church that is totally bonkers, but completely uh, blessed, you know, um, beyond anything that we've ever experienced in our our world, as far as I can tell, uh, with gifts of the Spirit. They're just so full of the Holy Spirit. It's amazing, but yet they're so full of pride. And they're, they're at war with each other about who's got the best gift. And who's got the stronger version? I can speak more tongues than you can. And it was just a mess. And so Paul writes to them to try and straighten things out a bit. And he says to them, are all of you apostles? The answer is, no, of course not. Are all of you prophets? No. Are all of you teachers? No. Do all of you work miracles? Do all of you heal people? Do all of you speak in tongues? The answer is clearly no. But even in these sort of suggestions, um, there is the understanding that the role of apostle is something that uh, is ongoing and sort of uh, endearing, I suppose, within the church. He didn't just say, stop, there's no such thing as apostles beyond the twelve. He just says, no, make sure that when you receive the gift, use it to build up the church, not to destroy one another. So it seems to be there is an openness for the ongoing role of apostle in the New Testament, I submit. Um, today, are there apostles? Uh, do people go around calling themselves apostles? Well, yes, they do. In different types of church traditions, there are people who actually call themselves apostles. Um, but it's my contention that the gift uh, does continue, uh, but often we use different names. So, so we, we might say church planter, but actually it's someone with the gift of uh, apostleship and apostolic gifting. Uh, or we might call someone a bishop because they relate to a whole load of churches and bless them and strengthen them. Or we might call someone a movement leader. Or even a missionary. Somebody who goes off to a faraway land to bring the good news of Jesus and and, and give their lives to making sure that people hear the good news. That's an apostolic gifting. And what I would say to you is that all these people are simply being apostolic in their ministry. It's just that we don't call it that. My, my, My view is that we're better off using the term apostolic as a descriptor rather than labeling someone as an apostle just to avoid controversy or confusion about what we mean. So who is an apostle? We've seen there's 12 with a few more, with a few more on that. And the likelihood is that this um, is seen to be continuing through the early church to today. So who is an apostle? I hope that helps. Just, just, just building the groundwork here. All right. Uh, so secondly then, second question we're going to ask um, from this particular text and this gift here um, is what does the apostolic look like? So, so how, how do we know it when we see it? Um, what, are, what are the characteristics, I suppose, of, of the apostolic ministry? Well, I think the 12 that we've thought about, the 12 apostles that Jesus um, specifically uh, called and, and sent out, plus Paul, uh, and maybe one or two others, those, though that small group were very foundational. So the first, you know, um, apostolic ministry is very foundational. And what I mean by that is that these, this small group of people set the apostolic doctrine, that is the body of, of beliefs about Jesus and what he said and what he's done. Their writings became scripture in our New Testament. Uh, these are people who, 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 whose writings are taken as God's word itself. As they were writing, they were filled with the Holy Spirit who spoke through them and with them as they wrote God's word. These are, these are pillars, you know. Um, these, are, these are the foundational apostles reserved for the twelve and Paul. 
So when we're talking about apostleship today or apostolic, we're not talking about that particular thing. That's a set group and everything else is built on them. So we're not, we're not, we're not uh, entering into that group. Um, but that's, that's, that's where it begins. Um, but also, not only are uh, apostles foundational to the church in that sense, they're also uh, functional. So they, 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 they do something beyond that. And apostles, as we see in scripture and as we see in our own experience, they plant and strengthen healthy churches where no churches previously existed. They expanded the frontiers of the gospel. They, they go to other churches and help them grow in depth and breadth. This is what apostles do. For example, we see them in, 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 the, in the book of Acts in the New Testament, gathering converts, training elders, setting sound doctrine in place, making sure that they are, churches are living out you know, uh, the, the, the claims of the gospel. We did a series a few uh, months ago in, in, the, in the New Testament letter to Titus. And we said that the Titus is, you know, he's kind of like an apostle or an apostolic individual. And we kept saying, it's all about getting the truth straight and allowing the truth to shape us. And that's what the apostle does. Um, they kickstart that movement within the church and then hand it over to the local church elders. So they start and strengthen healthy churches. That's what apostles do. We've thought of the foundational role of their doctrine. We've thought about their functional role of planting and strengthening. Um, but what about their formation? What is, what is their makeup? What, what, are, what are apostles like as individuals? Um, and, and this is really just a few thoughts I've gathered together from my own experience and, 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 and reading uh, beyond this. But um, apostles tend to be very uh, vision-driven. They're big-picture people. All right, so they think in terms of cities and nations, and they'll look at a region or something like that, or a nation, and think, how can we impact this entire nation for Jesus? How, how can we reach this city? How can we under, make sure that the gospel is heard and understand and embraced by a, a million people? That's the sort of stuff that occupies apostolic gifts or apostolic people. Not only are they vision-driven, big-picture people, but they're often very strategic as well. They think, well, how, what steps can we take now to reach that vision in five years' time or ten years' time or whatever it is. They're strategic. They're relational as well, uh, connected to other churches and leadership teams, relating to them almost as a father to the children or a dad to the family sort of thing. Um, I, this, this came uh, really clear to me uh, when I've been reading a lot about Terry Virgo, who is the guy who started the New Frontiers movement of churches that grew to almost 2,000 churches across the globe during his life. He's in his 80s now. He's still ministering, still traveling the world, and Advance uh, is part of uh, the new front, bigger, sort of wider New Frontiers group, I suppose. And it's just amazing. When I read and I hear Terry uh, and, and read his writings, it just amazes me how easily others were able to connect to him and find him and relate to him, just want to be with him. And churches would come and listen to him and want to get his, his experience. So there's this highly sort of relational thing between an apostolic person and, and, and churches and, and stuff like that. Within those relational connections, there is authority. But it's important to understand that it's not absolute authority. So an apostle or an apostolic gift doesn't just come in and say, right, this is exactly how it's going to be. You know, it's my way or the highway. That's not how it is. But there is a, there is a God-given authority um, that's recognized by churches and trusted and affirmed, but it's not sort of, you know, pushed, pushed on them, so to speak. For example, um, Paul writes here again in 1 Corinthians 16, and he says... Um, uh, concerning our brother Apollos, who is another Christian worker, I strongly urged him to visit you with the other churches, 
but it was not his will at all to come. He will come when he has, has the opportunity. So here we have the Apostle Paul strongly urging someone else to go and do something, and yet that other individual called Apollos thought that actually, you know what, I'll, I'll do that later. So, so authority is, is, is not absolute uh, when it comes to apostleship. It's astonishing, actually, I, and I've been reading Paul's letters afresh in preparation for this, and, and Paul is, is, is the apostle with a capital A, big A apostle. But I was just struck um, for all of his vision and all of his... Uh, strategy and his relationship and all, all of his amazing giftings. One thing that really stands out about Paul in his life is his humility. Um, he is capital A apostle and yet he is so humble. He, he rolls his sleeves up to serve the churches. He even took another job as a tent maker in order to allow him to preach and gather and travel without taking any cost or any finances from the church. He had every right as an apostle to receive financial support. He defended that right but he chose to deny himself so that there was no blockage to his ability to minister the gospel. Humility for an apostle is essential. And with that, and I suppose following on from that, he is willing to suffer. Apostles must be willing to suffer for the gospel. This is a classic passage um, in 2 Corinthians. We'll read it together. Um, He's referring to other people who pretend to be apostles. Are they servants of Christ, he says? Uh, not at all. He says, I'm, I'm, I'm a better one, uh, but I've had far more imprisonments, countless beatings, and often near death. He says, five times I received from the hands of the Jews 40 lashes less than one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. For a night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles. Danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. This is a man, this is a gifting, uh, this is a gifted individual who is willing to suffer for the gospel. It goes hand in hand with an apostolic gifting. He argues that actually it's the mark of a true apostle, someone who suffers for the gospel. And with this willingness to suffer for the gospel also comes the, the value or the trait of perseverance. An apostle must persevere. You can't just start something up and quit a few months later because it's not working out as quick as you wanted. You don't get to move on to the next thing and keep going until something pops. You must be ready to see it through and do it on your own if necessary. Apostles have what it takes. So we've seen what an apostle looks like um, in all these different values and his functions or her functions to, to plant and strengthen healthy churches. How can we harness them? Thirdly and finally, how can we harness the apostolic gifting um, here today at Foundation Church? How can, we, how can we sort of rely on this, this, this uh, drive? Well, I think it helps us to be clear as a church on our vision, and, or rather what we're aiming for, you know, what, what we're shooting for. And I've put it up here, you've maybe heard me mention it a few times, I've put it up here uh, on the screen as well. Our vision is, what we're aiming for, is to catalyze the gospel transformation of our city and our nation through resourcing, renewal, and replication. That's what we're aiming to do. In other words, what we want to do as a church is to unleash 
the power of the gospel of Jesus into our city and our nations, both north and south of the border, so that we might see a lasting, deep, uh, world-shaping transformation that will affect generations to come. And, and, and I'm not saying that because that's a particularly fancy way or a new way of, you know, a cool thing. I'm saying that because the gospel is capable of doing that. The good news that animates us and invigorates us is capable of making this change. We've read about it in the Bible. Uh, we've seen it across the world in different countries right now. We've seen it across 2,000 plus years of Christian history. Jesus has risen and ascended and he's given these gifts, specifically these five gifts, to ensure that this stuff continues to happen. And so as a church, we need to harness the apostolic gifts that Jesus gives and continues to give. Otherwise, this vision will come to nothing. So how will apostolic gifts or apostolic people help bring this, our shared vision to reality? Let me just sketch in a few ideas really just using some of the language in this uh, vision statement. First of all, by resourcing. How do apostolic gifts or apostolic people resource? How can we resource? Resourcing is all about sending what we have and sharing that with others, other, other people, other churches. And so for us, harnessing apostolic gifting uh, might be sending apostolic leaders to other churches that we connect with so that those other churches might become strengthened in their own vision and mission to make much of Jesus in their community. And so that might mean for us sending one or two individuals, whoever they may be, working with teams to help grow their eldership, to, to be a, an outside voice, almost like effectively working as a, as a sort of consultant. We might call it a consultancy type thing, but it's an apostolic gifting. For example, we have um, uh, Grant Van Schalkwick, who's the leader of one of the other advanced churches in Plymouth, in Devon, and he's been helping uh, us, particularly uh, our sort of eldership training team um, that we have set up, and he's been released from his church to help and strengthen and serve us. And so that's what I want us to achieve at Foundation, is to be doing the same except to other churches, particularly in our city and in our nation. That would be awesome resourcing. Renewal, how, do, how, do, how does apostolic gifting help us to, to in renewal? Um, similar, maybe just sit, uh, for a longer period, but sending apostolically gifted people, a person with a team, uh, to a dead or declining church to help them come alive again. And this is why it's important for the, uh, the apostolically gifted person to be humble and yet have high levels of perseverance, as well as being vision-driven and big picture, because helping and getting alongside a dead or declining church is hard graft. And yet, what a joy it could be. Just think about it. If we are able to do this, if we're able to help a dead or dying church come alive again, God gets the glory, the other church gets the credit, and we get the thrill of knowing that that church has been renewed and set back on mission. That's renewal. And thirdly and finally, we see this through replication. How do apostolic gifts help us replicate? Well, it's through church planting, isn't it? Church planting, establishing new churches in regions that currently don't have them, or establishing new churches where there is insufficient access to Jesus-honoring, gospel-preaching churches. And that's one of the reasons why, and the motivating factors that I'm hosting, 
um, this advanced conference in November on that Saturday I'm talking about. It's the first time we're having a gathering of partner churches, and there's only two of us at the moment, and we're praying for more, um, but a gathering where, where, where we can get together. It's a sort of rally cry. You know, we're, we're, we're planting the flag in the ground and we're saying to those who would care to listen, we're here. And, and we can do so much more together if we partner together and share our resources and cheer one another on. Imagine what we could achieve. And so that's why I just want to encourage you again uh, this morning if you're listening and you're feeling stirred by this talk of apostleship and, and maybe just a stirring, maybe you haven't used that word before, but just a yearning or an interest or a question about church planting or, or renewal or you know, getting alongside and replicating and all the rest of it. Because of that conference, my, my, my hope is that we'll have a taste of what it is and we can mix with others who share a similar passion. We can stir one another up. We can encourage each other, hear stories of planting and success stories and worshipping Jesus. And so my plan, and, uh, my plan with, with the other advanced churches um, in partnership with them is, is that through our partnership, we can offer training, um, we can offer experience, we can offer coaching, we can even offer church planting residencies, any avenue so that we can deploy and identify these apostolic giftings in our city, but also further afield across our island. And, and, and as a church, we, 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 we get to play a key role in this together. It's just, I just, for me, I just find this thrilling. I find this so exciting. Um, but this is just the first step, right? This, this, this is just the apostolic bit. Because in the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at prophetic and evangelistic and shepherding and teaching. And we're going to be seeing how all these things work together to strengthen and build and multiply. It's awesome.